I got it right the first service, but I guess not this one. Getting the mask off. I was hoping Andreas would forget his chocolate bar up here to get me through on my second time through this morning, um, but I'll have to do without. Uh, that's good. It's a pleasure to be with you all um, this Boxing Day morning and to get to open the Word of God. Um, and just beforehand, as I get started here, I want to recognize, and looking at the story that Andreas reminded me of, these two little guys, um, how crazy it is to me to think um, that God took this little guy in that story and by his spirit has given me the opportunity to open his word, to understand it, and to get to share it. It's all the work of the spirit. I'm no one special, um, but I'm thankful for a special God that gives us opportunities to see his word such as this. I want to begin our time together this morning with telling a peculiar story about a man who lived many years ago. By all the measures present at this time, this man was a well-respected man within the small village that he lived in. He was a hard worker, and he had taken on the trade of carpentry from his father. By this trade, he served his small community by fashioning them pieces of furniture, and everyone raved about the work that this man would do. If you wanted furniture for your home, you wanted this man building it. Not only was he a gifted laborer, but he had a good head on his shoulders as well. In all things, he recognized who deserved the praise, his God. You would never miss this man at the synagogue. He would never skip spending time with the priests and the scribes learning about the teachings of God. He yearned to honor God with his deeds. And at the same time, this man cared deeply for people. He wasn't like some of the religious men that seemed harsh and cruel with all of their rules. He was tender, compassionate, and merciful in spirit. These two characteristics helped this man in the courtship of the girl of his dreams. The two had grown up together in their small town, and through many years he had done everything he could to try to win over her heart. Much to his surprise, she felt the same way. And the two were set to be married in less than one year. It seemed as though life could not get any better than this. One day, while in his shop working on his latest project, this man was pulled aside by his wonderful wife-to-be. She appeared a bit unsettled, but still as beautiful as ever. As the two entered into the back room, tears began to stream down her face. I'm pregnant, she exclaimed. I don't know how to make sense of this, but last night I had an angel of God appear to me and tell me that I'm going to bear a son and that we are to call his name Jesus and that he is the son of the Most High and one day he will have a kingdom that will be of no end. I know this is crazy, but I'm telling you the truth. I saw an angel of God and I'm to be the mother of God's son. Thoughts swirled around in this man's head as he heard all this. 
his first thoughts. Madness. She has gone crazy. Who would ever try to blame God for their adultery and mock God's name in this way? She deserves shame or worse for her actions. But another thought popped into his head as he looked at his wonderful wife-to-be. What if she's telling the truth? What if this really is to be the son of the Most High? Isn't God's son supposed to come through a virgin according to the prophet Isaiah? But is God's son really supposed to come into earth like this? I need time to think, is what this man said. And here, in this moment, we see the life of Joseph get turned completely upside down. For my message this morning, I've titled it Emmanuel, Turning Lives Upside Down. If you would join me in opening to Matthew 1, verses 18 to 23, I'm going to read out the Word of God for this morning. It's found on page 681 in the Pew Bibles, and I don't know what page it's going to be on any individual Bible you brought for yourself. Matthew 1.18 reads, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let us pray as we consider God's word this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come here and to gather under this roof to worship you and to learn about the reality of you becoming Emmanuel, such as us. I thank you that amidst this pandemic, we are able to gather together as a group in order to do so. And God, I pray that you prepare our hearts and prepare my heart for how you are going to speak to us from this passage. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider our passage here this morning, I want to draw out four ways that Jesus coming to this earth turned our lives upside down, just like how Joseph's life was turned upside down in our story beforehand. Our first reality is that God turned life upside down by coming to be with us supernaturally. In Christ's conception, the plan of God is initiated. 
as the Spirit of God conceives a child within the womb of Mary. Before we get into anything else, it's important for us to understand that the conception of Christ needed to happen by the supernatural work of God. Christ couldn't come into this earth by the normal means of natural conception between a man and woman. Because in our understanding of human flesh being fallen, there would be an issue if Christ shared any sort of genetic code with us fallen humans. And so we see an unfathomable event taking place where the Spirit of God begins to form Jesus Christ within the womb of Mary. In this, Christ is separated from our fallen flesh. However, in all the ways that Christ is separated, he sets himself up as an example as to what humans were supposed to be from the beginning, without corruption. Jesus displays all the ways that Christ was supposed to live. But this was only possible by the supernatural work of the Spirit. However, Christ wasn't coming as a human just to show us all up. He was coming to show that there was opportunity for the flesh to one day somehow share in the perfection of God, which he would go on to extend to us. Christ's conception supernaturally begins to turn the world upside down because God is becoming a man. In this uniting of the natural and supernatural, there's a variety of exchanges that are made on our behalf in Christ. We've talked about these in our four weeks prior. In Jesus Christ, despair is turned upside down for hope. In Jesus Christ, fear is turned upside down for peace. In Jesus Christ, suffering is turned upside down for joy. And in Jesus Christ, rejection is turned upside down for love. These exchanges are only possible with Christ coming to be with us supernaturally. And these exchanges are the first way that Jesus began to turn our lives upside down. Our second reality this morning of how Christ turned our lives upside down is that God came to be with us in his sovereignty. In God being sovereign, it's the understanding that God is in control of all things. There's nothing that takes God by surprise. God has orchestrated all things throughout this earth, sees the moving pieces as they fall, and in this intervenes at times to make his will come to life. I was struck with how God, as he's looking into this world, decided that he was going to come in the form of an infant. In his sovereignty, he decided to place himself subject to other humans as a child. In thinking about God coming as a child, I found myself going as I prepared, sympathizing with the Jewish people who wanted a magnificent, authoritative, king-like figure to come free them from the shackles of slavery that they had been bound by. It's crazy to think that God, in his sovereignty, decided to come as a baby. But in this form of a child, I think we see the sovereignty of God magnified in a way like no other. With Jesus entering into this earth as a child, as I said, he placed himself subject 
to the decisions of Mary and Joseph. I want to focus on Joseph's involvement in particular this morning in our passage. Verse 18 states that Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married to each other. This pledge within Jewish culture was called betrothal and spanned anywhere from 10 to 12 months. This pledge itself was as binding as marriage, and in that, any sexual relationship with another individual outside of this pledge would be regarded as adultery. In this context, we see the gravity of the situation unfolding before our eyes as Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. Logically, from Joseph's perspective, the only explanation is that Mary slept with someone else to conceive this child. And what is Joseph's response going to be? Well, I see that in Joseph's response, we see the sovereignty of God on display. What is Joseph's response? It says that in this moment, because Joseph was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. We may wonder, how is God's sovereignty displayed through a quiet divorce? But we need to understand how countercultural it was for Joseph to pursue this action against Mary. Let us look at what the prescribed response was according to the law of God found in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 22, 23-24 says, If there is a betrothed virgin, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then ye shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and ye shall stone them to death with stones. Joseph would have been justified to have Mary pulled out to the outer portions of the city and have her stoned to death, not only Mary, but Jesus, the Son of God, within her womb. Even in this, Joseph could have chose to spare her from death, but made her metaphorically dead by having her outcasted in society, treated as a nobody, with no one to care for her whatsoever. Instead, Joseph decides to keep it all hush, to try to divorce Mary without stirring the pot amongst the people. In this, God obviously had picked the perfect partner for Mary, sovereignly saving her from death while Jesus was in her womb. Interestingly, this passage states that Joseph was a righteous and just man. But this description of Joseph didn't mean that he shared the sentiment of some of the people at that time that were hyper-fixated on judgment, looking to bring shame onto people at any moment in wrong. Instead, Joseph extends a merciful and tender nature to Mary. Not in the understanding of the circumstance, but knowing that in this bizarre circumstance, there must have been something else going on. It seems fitting that Joseph, a man that extends mercy in this circumstance, would go on to be the earthly father of Jesus Christ, who would go on to extend mercy and grace to all the inhabitants of this earth. Throughout the story, we see inklings, marks of God's sovereignty at work in bringing Jesus Christ to earth. 
It wasn't just by chance that Joseph was set, or that Mary was set to be betrothed to a very merciful man by Joseph. And it wasn't just by chance that she was selected to be the mother of the Christ. All of these circumstances were a part of a wonderful plan of God that had started at the fall of man in which Christ was being set up to come into this earth. Jesus' coming had been in the works for thousands of years. Through the story of Joseph in this passage, we see the sovereignty of God at work because Joseph's world had been flipped upside down with the unexpected pregnancy of Mary. But little did Joseph know that God in his sovereignty was going to take this crazy circumstance to bring his son to turn all of our lives upside down. At times, I think we forget how sovereign God is, how he works all things within this earth. Nothing is outside of his control. Instead, I find myself thinking of so many things happening by chance around me and instead direct the praise towards myself for my actions instead of my Father in heaven. And in this story, with God bringing his Son to earth in the sovereign plan, what should make us doubt that God doesn't have a plan, that he's not working behind the scenes for each and every single one of us, his sons and daughters? God has turned our world upside down in the coming of Jesus Christ. Our next point for this morning about God turning our world upside down is God being with us in depravity. And Jesus having to come to this earth to save us from our sins, it's implied that sin presented a variety of problems to us, corrupted our original purpose. And in this, sin brought to life three consequences for us. I want to go through explaining each of these consequences that are brought to life with our sin in the garden. The first consequence is that sin brought separation from God. We see this in the garden, the story of Adam and Eve as they sin. God walks them out of the garden, walks them out of his presence and dwelling alongside him. We see this reality throughout the Old Testament where God's spirit, his presence, is reserved simply to the most holy place within the tabernacle. And this tabernacle didn't hold some open-door policy which any person could just go and enter into God's presence. If you decided to do this, surely you would die. In our uncleansliness from sin, we separated ourselves from God. The second reality is that sin brought forth suffering. Because of sin's presence on this earth, us humans became subject to suffering. Genesis 3 again outlines this for us. Eve is told, following their sin, that she will have pain and childbearing, and that her desire will be for her husband, and that he shall rule over her. And Adam is told that he will have fruitless labor, and by the sweat of his brow he will work this earth. In both these circumstances, man and woman are told that it is from dust that you have been raised and it is from dust that you shall return. In our understanding of the natural and supernatural, 
our suffering that sin brought forth is not only set on this earth. By our disobedience to God, we brought to life the reality of hell. By our sin, we birthed it because it was a place that we desired, a place without God. And consequently, taking God out of the picture, we see a truly terrifying place incapable of producing anything good. We brought hell to life by our sin. We brought suffering upon ourselves. And the third reality is that sin brought forth death. This consequence was again prescribed in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve in their disobedience. In this moment, the perfect creation of human flesh was disrupted and sent on a spiraling path towards destruction and disorder. Over time, our lives became messier and messier. I like to think of it like a house, and that over time, a house becomes progressively dirtier and dirtier as clothes fall on the floor, as crumbs fall on the floor. We require some sort of intervention in order to clean this all up. We've seen interventions such as this set out in the Old Testament with the prescription of the animal sacrifices for the people of God. However, there was an issue still at hand in these sacrifices. Because the blood of animals was not sufficient to wash away sins, but simply cover them up. It was like sweeping the mess under your fridge. It was out of sight, but not out of mind. The mess, the wretchedness, was still present and not dealt with. We were dead in our sins and dead in our depravity. These three realities were at hand and were grim this morning as Joseph is told that Mary will give birth to his son and you are to give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins, from their consequence of sins. Through our entire existence here on this earth, Jesus, the Messiah, was sitting up in heaven looking down to this people. And this is what he saw in our depravity. He saw a people separated from himself, living in ignorance. He saw a people suffering and creating suffering for each other by their deeds. And he saw you and me and all the people of this earth progressing towards not only a physical death, but eternal damnation in hell. This is not how it was supposed to be. God's beloved creatures were not meant to dwell in this way, but we ourselves knew no other way. Sin had taken the perfect world that God had created in the beginning, destroyed it, and turned it upside down. The flesh itself was fallen, wretched, and incapable of good. But by God's sovereign plan, and the supernatural spirit of God, it was time for Jesus Christ to enter into this story, to enter into this depravity. And so Jesus takes it upon himself to share in our consequences of depravity, 
share in the consequences that we brought to life in our sins. How little Mary and Joseph knew at this point in the story about what this unexpected son was set to accomplish. This leads us into our final point of this morning of God coming to be with us in humanity. This is a game-changing reality. God coming to be like us. God with us. By God's divine wisdom, him becoming a man was going to be the perfect solution to the problems and consequences that sin had brought to life. How was God becoming man going to solve these problems? Remember the three consequences that were brought to life. Separation, suffering, and death. In Christ becoming Emmanuel, we see answers made to these three realities. First off, in separation, Christ coming to this earth, a revolution takes place in which God becomes down like us, like a man. The uncreated, perfect, and spotless one takes on the form such as us. In this moment, God, who was in heaven looking down amongst his people, physically separated, shatters this divide to come live alongside us, to walk, talk, breathe, eat, and drink like we do. Our physical separation is shattered in Christ. But not only does Christ leave his heavenly dwelling to come break the physical divide between us and God, but at the very end of his life, as he's hanging on the cross, Christ cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this moment, Christ is taking on the full wrath of sin on our behalf, paying the penalty that we rightly deserved. In this moment, as Christ gives up himself for us, we see this curtain within the tabernacle torn, top to bottom, a signal that Christ in his death shattered the spiritual divide between us and God and has become our high priest. By Christ, our separation is replaced. We are offered the ability to come into God's presence, to come into unity with him. As our high priest, Jesus testifies on our behalf, understanding what it is like to be a human, and our previous separation is shattered. The second reality is that Christ came to deal with our suffering. This was our second consequence of sin. While here on earth, Christ decided to subject himself to suffering. And in no way did he deserve suffering by any sort because he himself was perfect. But he shared in this with us. There's three ways that Christ shared in suffering such as us. First off, he shared in our emotional and mental suffering. We see this pictured in the Garden of Gethsemane as it says that Jesus, being in anguish, prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling onto the ground. 
sharing an emotional and mental suffering as he anticipated what waited for him on that cross. While here on this earth, Christ in the flesh also shared in our spiritual suffering. In Matthew 4, as Christ is led out into the desert by the Spirit of God to bear the temptation of the devil, and we know that he is not overcome in any way, but he feels the plight that we have being tempted with evil, but shows that there is victory in that, but he understands that suffering that we endure spiritually. And the third type of suffering that Christ endured, the most memorable of them all, is Christ sharing in our physical suffering. Christ endures this in his life throughout earth, time here on earth. And it comes to a pinnacle, taking on that death on the cross. Christ calls his followers to take up your cross and follow me. Or in other words, be ready to physically suffer if you want to be my follower. In all these circumstances, Christ came and took it upon himself to share in our suffering. But he explicitly showed that suffering is never meant to overcome us with despair. Because in all the forms of suffering that we may endure, there is one form of suffering that he spared us from. Eternal suffering. In all forms of suffering on this earth, they pale in comparison to the eternal suffering that we rightfully deserve. But Jesus coming, and as we will talk about his death, made payment for us to spare us from eternal suffering. In all these things, Christ becomes our suffering servant, serving us in his life, sparing us from the suffering that we rightfully deserve. And our third problem that sin presented this morning was death. You'll remember my house analogy that as time goes on, our houses become messier and messier. And our lives become messier and more wretched. And all this comes to a pinnacle at our eventual death that awaits us. It was by my own actions that I disqualified myself from living forever. And it was by my own actions that I made myself dead on this earth. Plenty of blood of bulls, goats, sheeps, and pigeons have been shed for the covering of sin, but nothing could do away with the problem of sin in our lives. We were in need of a new sacrifice, one whose blood could truly wash away our sins. And so in the birth of Jesus Christ here in Matthew 1, we see this perfect sacrifice setting himself up, coming to this earth, such as us, but living in a way that is so foreign to us in his perfection. In a history-defining moment, Christ gives himself up on each of ours behalf on the cross. The ultimate consequence that Christ endured on our behalf. Because Jesus Christ 
shouldn't have died. It should have been me hanging on that cross. It should have been you hanging on that cross. It should have been each of us bearing the death that we deserved because of our sin. But our Messiah, as he hangs there, cries out, It is finished. The signal that perfect blood by the perfect human was shed for each of us. There was blood available that could wash away sin forever and make us new. And in this, we would see also that death was not meant to be the end of the story. Christ is laid in the grave, but we know that in three days' time, the unimaginable takes place. This lifeless body rises from the dead, rises back to life, and the final consequence of sin is shattered because in Jesus Christ, we have one who came to be the conqueror of death. Praise God for conquering the separation, suffering, and death that sin had brought upon us. Jesus, in becoming human like us, inhabited these three consequences among us, but destroyed them forevermore when he rose from the dead. In Jesus Christ, our imperfect life as humans can be turned upside down and exchanged for new life now and forevermore. Galatians 2.20 makes this apparent. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Jesus Christ, there is new ways of life available. No longer just life as we know it in the flesh, but life in the Spirit with the Son of God indwelling us. In Jesus Christ, our lives get turned upside down. It may seem scary, but as I'm sure Joseph would tell you from the beginning of our story, it can only be for your good to let God come and turn your life upside down. But maybe it isn't about turning our lives upside down. Our lives already were upside down when we were casted out of the Garden of Eden. In the life of Jesus Christ, we see that he came as our Emmanuel, God with us, not to turn our lives upside down, but we turn them back to the way that they were supposed to be. We turn them back to right side up. In Jesus Christ, our outcasting from the garden is turned upside down and turned into a welcoming invitation to come and find new life in me, to be free from the separation, 
suffering and death that sin had brought to life. This is what our Emmanuel accomplished for us in coming to be human like us. Will you join me in the worship team as we praise God for the work that Jesus Christ has done for each and every single one of us? To close out our morning together, I want to revisit Joseph, whose story began our time together this morning. Joseph came to the end of his life having not seen the event that saved the people from their sins, having not seen Jesus die on the cross, and having not seen him rise from the dead. But Joseph saw firsthand that God had become a man and that our story here on earth was just a glimpse of what was to come in eternity. And eternity has to be our hope as Christians, as humans. Because as long as we are here on earth as humans, suffering will continue. Death will continue. But God is making a new place for his people. I want to recognize that the Christmas season for some people is very difficult dealing with loss. As I spent my last two days um, in the intensive care unit, I saw families saying goodbye to loved ones on Christmas Day. Realizing that there were loved ones that may never wake up again on Christmas Day. Life here on earth is full of suffering. But Jesus Christ came into the suffering world to offer us all an opportunity for life one day in eternity with him where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And he's invited you in to that peace this morning to come and have new life, peace on earth in me. Will you join me this Boxing Day morning as we close our time together in prayer? God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to come here to recognize what you did on each of our behalf in sending your son coming here to earth I thank you for the promise that we have in Jesus Christ rising from the dead that our life here on earth is not the end of the story but only the glimpse of an eternity with you. I pray that this truth resonates for each of us as we consider our Emmanuel, God with us today. And Lord, I pray for those that may be in this room or tuning in online that may not know you, Father, that they would see all that you have done to take their outcasting, to welcome them back into your arms today to start a new life now that will go into eternity, God. We thank you for your heart to be with 
us forevermore. I pray that this truth resonates as we leave this building today and that we would go being beacons of hope in this suffering, separated, and moving towards death world. Beacons of hope that there is life beyond, life as we know it. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. And so, I send you all off this morning with the reality that death, that life here on this earth is not the end of our story because our God has come to be among us, to give us opportunity to have new life in him. And so may we go leaving here this morning on our boxing day as we gather together with our families with celebration about what we have been given in the coming of this child. And so I send you all off to enjoy your day and to remember about how special that this day is because of what God did for us. Praise God. Take care, everyone.